evening and welcome to Educationally Speaking on KVMR. This is the show that explores all things educational in our Nevada schools. I'm your host, Scott Lay, Nevada County Superintendent of Schools. Tonight with me, we're going to be checking in at what's going on at Yuba River Charter. We have Michael Martin, the director of Yuba River Charter. And we also have Robert Pegg, the third grade teacher at Yuba River Charter. So gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Scott, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Michael, I know this is your entering your first full-time year as a director there because you came in midway through the uh, the year last year. So you're ready for the full year. And Robert, how long have you been at uh, Yuba River? I don't know. If that's uh, this is my uh, third year here at Yuba River. I was at a sister charter school, uh, River Oak <laughs> Charter School in Ukiah for the previous 11 years. All right. So it's my third year here, and uh, but I've been involved in public Waldorf education for about 15 years now. So. Wow. Well, excellent. Well, we're glad you're here. So we've got a couple of topics we want to get over or work our way through before our half hour is up tonight. But first, I just kind of wanted to get an update, Michael and Robert, on how the school year has started off for you in a general sense. So, Michael, how how are things going over there? Oh, it's uh, it's I would think it's going pretty well. I'm pretty excited about where we're at. Um, you know, we've got challenges, of course, like all the schools do. Um with COVID and the testing and some of the compliance um, issues that we're dealing with. Um, but there are, at the same time, I, I wrote a, a communication in our newsletter last month um, saying that despite this year starting in probably conditions that no one, none of us thought we were going to start, mm-hmm. um, we were all thinking this was going to be a back to a regular year. You know, Boy, we, we planned, did. we budgeted, we hired, we looked forward and saying, Gosh, we got this behind us, but as we all know now, that's not what occurred. But even so, Scott, uh, myself and the entire community and the staff um, are still moving forward with looking um, strongly at our programming and our initiatives and not getting swept up into the fact that we're back at this place where we have to have these mitigations and other concerns that distract us, but rather looking at it where we're going to balance that and continue to move forward on some very productive initiatives that I hope a couple of them are, you know, we'll talk about tonight. Right, right. Well, and I think that's so important, Michael. It is so easy to get caught up in in all things COVID again. And I think it's much healthier to focus on the positive things and those that we have a direct impact on the outcome. So very nice. Robert, how about for you? How has the year started for you in third grade? Uh, well, it's been uh, fantastic. I could speak for all of the teachers that we love to be in person with the children. And it is so much better uh, then the distance learning and uh, even the hybrid model like that. But it's really wonderful to be able to work in person uh, with the children and have that social, uh, very human aspect. And um, I think a lot of the uh, the safety protocols and things we have to do to keep everyone safe are actually more challenging for the adults. I'm constantly impressed with how uh, resilient and adaptable the children are. And there, as after the distance learning, especially, they're very happy to be here. And also uh, through, um, through the pandemic, we had a lot of movement in our population and we have a lot of new families uh, coming uh, to the school. So there's a real sense of uh, newness and renewal. And uh, although it was sad to lose a lot of our community members, I think it helped um, broaden our appeal and um, widened uh, our audience, uh, if you want to use that term, uh, so that we really are more inclusive and we're uh, having more segments of the community uh, come and join our school. So it, there have been a lot of really positive things. Oh, that's, that's great. 
and I'm having lots of fun with the kids. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is worse than doing distance learning. That's not what we got our degrees for. That's not what we joined. Uh, it's not what we signed up for. It's to that daily interaction with our students. And yeah. And if I ever have the students that don't, uh, that have trouble with their mask or something, I can say like, just let's, let's keep our masks on so we don't have to do distance learning. And you bet you like, they're like, okay, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll put it on. Just let's not do that. So absolutely. It, it's not abstract. Yeah. You know? And they know it's real. Yes. It is real. And, and, and Michael, how have you guys done with the quarantine thing? I know several, you know, districts, particularly Nevada joint union got pretty hit, got hit pretty hard with it. Uh, Nevada City School District did, and, and most recently, I know Nevada City School Yard saw a bit of a surge. How are you guys doing there with that? We've been we've been incredibly fortunate all the way through this, Scott. Uh, last year as well as this year, you know, very few incidents here at Uber River Charter School. Um, so far this year, we've only had two incidents um, in one single grade, and um, we did our at that point we were doing the close contact quarantining, and of course that's gone through some changes, and we're doing much more with the testing and things. But at that time, uh, there were only about um, eight students or 10 students in total uh, impacted by that close contact quarantining. We haven't had any whole entire classes go out um, for quarantine. Um, and then we have an occasional student here or there that has a close contact at home, but no students testing positive, you know, from any of those reports. So we've been very incredibly fortunate here. And we've been really lucky with our staff too. We've had some yeah. teachers who have had to uh, quarantine awaiting their test results, but we've been very uh, fortunate that we haven't had a group of teachers out at one time uh, because all schools are facing these uh, low substitute pools. It's hard mm -hmm. to get a teacher in there, but yeah, I'll uh, agree with Michael that we've been uh, very, very fortunate. Well, that's good. We'll keep our fingers crossed. It continues for that. And Let's hope that trend we're seeing in our county of a, of a, a plateau and, and a downward curve continues here for us all uh, with that. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you about, Michael and Robert. Um, and Michael, you mentioned to me in a previous conversation, you got those amazing tents. I love driving by the school and seeing those. They're just so useful that you guys have come up with an outdoor wood shop and a practical arts classroom, if I remember correctly. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So, Scott, we got these uh, tents, about 10 of them, uh, last year, about halfway through in the month of January and February. And um, we ordered those from a Canadian company. They're very strong, extra thick um, vinyl, outdoor vinyl tents. And as you mentioned, if you, anybody's driving by rough and ready and they look over at our kindergarten, they'll see one. And just multiply that by about another nine spread out all over our 16 acres. Um, it's really a fun sight to behold, Scott, mm -hmm. when you walk out here, you feel uh, like you're in a circus, you know, or some fairgrounds where all these activities and all these hubs of, uh, you know, kind of outdoor instructions going on. But when we first put them in uh, back in last winter, um, we really did it because that was one of those phases, you know, how we all went incrementally opening up again, uh -huh. and sort of, you know, testing the waters to how much further we could go and still be safe and conscientious about our uh, protocols. This was when we were extending into additional hours in the day. So our hybrid programs, you know, the two cohorts were coming back for additional hours and that's coincided with us being able to move them outside more for instruction because we had them more hours on campus uh, in those cohorts and wanted to get them outside in the ventilation of the air. And so uh, a very successful spring, and I'm sure Robert could address this as a teacher using those spaces instructionally, 
very successful explore, uh, experiment with those tents in the spring led us to um, an expansion of our arts, outdoor arts practical arts program. And so we took two of those 10 tents and combined them you know, side by side and created one space that is an outdoor practical wood shop. So we all know kind of what that sense of wood where there's you know, hand tools and saws and tables to work on. Um, and so they're inside one of these big hexagonal tents that could um, yeah, manage still uh, some practical social distancing inside that tent. And then the second space is more of just a work area. There are no tables, there are no saws, there are no materials in that class other than just seating space like on stumps set around in circles. So a lot of distancing happening in that second space. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of the work happens as well as in those ba in both of those uh, both of those tent areas. Just really fun to go down there and watch that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say when I um, take my third grade class down to we have a big field down in the lower part of our campus. And in the morning when I uh, go down there to. Um, to have an outdoor classroom in another area, I walk by uh, the practical arts tent and I hear uh, the hammering and the sawing. And it really is uh, even more than that, just the buzz of the students working. And it, it provides a really uh, wonderful soundtrack uh, to the morning and really the whole day of this uh, industry and activity. And I also think uh, that it's really healing and a really antidote to some of the uh, problems the students have faced um, during this pandemic. Um, you know, one is that they get to transform something and start off with this raw wood and uh -huh. then through their willpower and energy, they get to really make something and, and see the results. When I talk to uh, teachers, um, some of my teacher friends at other schools, they say one of the biggest problems they're having is uh, a lot of the children are unmotivated and it's difficult to get them to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we get the uh, students out there and they're working with their hands and they can really see it and uh, they can see what they're capable of doing uh, when they engage their will, then when they get uh, in the classroom, we're doing more traditional academic learning, there is a transfer and they still use those forces mm -hmm. and they can you know, transform that novel they're reading into this great understanding about the world. But it's really neat to see how our work with the hands comes over it into the other programs and is uh, enriches the other academic learning as well. Some of, the, some of the projects, Scott, include, it might be good for the, for the listeners, um, a three-legged stool. So they're starting with just, you know, planks of wood and then carving down, you know, the, the legs to it and the three legs go into a round stool. Um, another project is basket weaving that they're doing in that space. Um, there's a class that's taking soapstone and they just get a square block and then they form that into very organic, smooth shapes. If you've ever worked with soapstone, so that's a lot of hand carving. Um, there is a class that's working with copper. And so they're making bracelets out of copper. And so they take a copper rod, like a, like a pencil, and they flatten that on a railroad tie, like an anvil surface. And then they heat that copper up and it makes the copper sort of like a leather hard state and then they hammer it and then you put it in water and cool it off and then it seats up again and it's called annealing and it makes it so that you can stretch it and draw it and wow. move that copper around and then finally you are at a place where after you've got that bracelet formed you are hammering in textures and details and annealing a surface um, so some really wonderful projects are, are coming out of that program. Wow I've definitely got to come and visit I know 
I enjoyed coming around. I think it was last spring. I walked walked around with you, Michael, and we saw the different things. I'd like to come back out and see all that going on. That sounds great. What a what a, a nice addition for your uh, for the campus. And for yeah, I think it's really nice. Now. Yeah, people talk about uh, you know, particularly in high school, how uh, you know, when I went to high school, we still had wood shop and auto shop and all those practical arts. And uh, it's really nice that the children get to uh, have an exploration into various trades. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, uh, you know, particularly with these middle schoolers, as they're looking into their future, it might uh, give them some uh, real ideas about yeah. things that they could do career-wise as yeah. well. So. Absolutely. And, you know, what's really nice, it's almost like a renaissance of, of this type of activity in a lot of our schools. And it's really exciting to see more hands-on classes for students than we saw five years ago in the mm-hmm. county. So uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter which charter school or or district students are going to get an opportunity to get hands on uh, learning, which is which is like uh, you know, one of the the, the the best ways to sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Michael, I know we wanted to get into uh, the uh, the this the process that you're doing self study exercise, but before that, you purchased a unique feature on your campus. And you talked to me about it. I think it's pretty cool because you're the only school I know that did that. And they come in the color purple. So why don't you tell our listeners <laughs> about that? Yeah, yeah the purple air sensors. Um, you know, you can go to it at purpleair.com and you can see a map and it, you know, it's all coordinated to the site you're located at. And so you can click in there. And if you navigate through all those different sensors, you'll find Uber Rivers there just along with uh, about another 50 in the Nevada County or, you know, in this area around Grass Valley and and Uh Nevada City. So you've got your own air quality sensing. That is awesome. So you can check. And I I know, thank goodness, you know, we don't have uh, the smoke. We started the school year off. We had, uh, you know, COVID and smoke and um, everything else. And it's so nice to look outside and see blue sky and uh and you know fresh air and cooler temps uh although you know it's great you have the sensors i'm, I'm hoping they don't go to good use uh in the next <laughs> month uh, you know I, I, they probably right. got uh, got a lot of use already to this point but that's great that you can check in yeah it's got we coordinate it with an entire community information system and a flag warning so that when you know the different temperature or the different readings and particulates are coming out, mm-hmm. um, that's all communicated. And of course, our parents are able. Uh, anybody is able to find out what's happening right here at our school site. Yeah, yeah and it says zero right now on our sensors. So we got, oh my we got the best air here at Uber River Charter best, School. Well, I'm gonna like you know I'm gonna double check. Let's see at the main one in Grass. You're better than downtown Grass Valley. It's 44. So you guys are zero. <laughs> it's 44. So. I'll tell our listeners the place to be, yes. and, you know, Cuba River, they got the clean air right now. In Nevada. <laughs> they got the cleanest All right, air. We could us. bottle it for a fundraiser. How about that? We <laughs> probably could, actually. I think yeah. people would probably buy that um, with that. So we're going to get into this self-study, but, you know, I think it's probably important to remind our listeners, we talked about it, what the difference between a Waldorf school is and a traditional school. So maybe just a a brief synopsis of that, Michael, so then we can lead into what you guys are doing there. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've spoken about this before, um, Scott, is that, you know, the charter schools are about a pedagogy or a methodology that they're employing. So they're a school of choice by design. Mm-hmm. It's not um, the intention behind the charter schools is not to be all things for all students. And thank goodness, Scott, that there are schools, district, traditional district schools that do that because they serve the entire neighborhood. 
regardless of what um, the needs are or what the um, community is, but the charter schools specifically are drawing from many districts and across district you know, boundaries and school boundaries. And what we're doing is trying to offer a specific program and match that program with the family and the students and their interest. And so that's why we have so many different ideas in the charter schools is what we're trying to do is to be the best Waldorf public charter school that we can be. We're not trying to be a independent study school or a home study school or a back to basic school or an, an at-risk school or a school that's serving vocational uh, or technology interests. We're trying to promote and, and, and serve this Waldorf pedagogy that is a specific methodology that was outlined by a, uh, a philosopher back at the turn of the last century in, in early 1900s. And so it is a very specific pedagogy and a very specific set of concepts and principles that we apply. And there's a picture of Rudolf Steiner. Uh, thank you, Robert. Um, and that's what we're about, is trying to be that. And, and we've put all of our resources and funnel all of our intentions and what we're talking about, the, the self-study, about trying to be the best public Waldorf school that we Right. All right. Well, that sounds good. Well, we're going to jump into that. And I uh, just want to remind our viewers that they're listening to Education CMR and tonight are Michael Barton, director at Uber River Charter School, and Robert Pegg, third grade teacher. And with that, Michael and Robert, let's jump into it. So tell me about this self-study process, because this is a pretty big deal. This is very similar or, or even maybe more detailed than an accreditation process you get at a high school uh, to really take a, a look inward. So it allows you to, to, to move outward and kind of map your uh, path forward, it sounds like. Yeah. It's, it's all organized around um, seven core principles of public Waldorf education. And so um, an, an association called the Alliance for Public Waldorf Education, uh, it's, a, it's a national organization that supports public Waldorf schools across America. And um, that's an association of 100 and plus charter Waldorf schools that are coming together to help to promote these ideas that say, this is what makes a uh, public Waldorf charter school a public Waldorf charter school, these specific ideas and concepts. And so what we're doing, Robert and I are leading groups. There are seven different groups that are studying these core principles, these seven core principles. I'm leading one that's called the image of the human being. And so um, my job is on the first Thursday of each month, I am hosting and supporting and leading a community-based group. And what I mean by that, Scott, which makes it different than the typical accreditation processes that we're familiar with is that our community-based group that's studying that core principle with me as leader is made up of not just teachers, but assistants and staff members, members of our community that are representatives of our board of directors and our parent council and our education foundation, our nonprofit arm, you know, that's a fundraising group to our school. All of us are getting together and coming together on those first Thursdays to break up into these seven groups, studying these core principles and talking about how does that concept of the image of the human being, what is our idea of what a human being should be and how do we realize that in our instruction, in our program, in our community interactions, in everything that we do, that group is focused on doing that self-study. And so I'll let Robert talk about his core principles yeah, just in the sense so that we've got seven of them that we're That's working six more so and is each group 
Michael led by a staff member? Yes. Yes, okay. it is. All right. Well, Robert, which what group do you have, and what do you? Uh, what's okay. Your well, I'll give you a little bit of, of history and something besides the impetus behind this. Um, Yuba River Charter School was one of the uh, first public uh, Waldorf charter schools to open in the United States. Uh, some say the first, some say it was Sebastopol, uh, but old school was one up there in the top few. And when the movement started, it was really uh, revolutionary. And it was groups of uh, parents and um, teachers and administrators that got together and wanted to bring this model of education uh, in a truly public way where you didn't have to pay eighteen to $30,000 of tuition, you didn't have to have a particular worldview, but that this is a great model of education and it should be for everyone and that it can be uh, adapted and transformed uh, to work in the public school system. And then 20 some years later, um, a school like Yuba River has a, a tendency to uh, become an institution. Uh, instead of this fresh living impulse and this community-based education where we're all working together. And part of our um, impetus or uh, rationale for doing this self-study is uh, to bring us back uh, to really being a uh, mission-driven organization and not an institution that's a building, but an actual school uh, um, comprised of human beings. Uh, and that we're not just employees or, or parents, but that, mm -hmm. that we really have a stake in the school. And with that, I'm doing principle number seven, which is schools as learning communities, um, which uh, means uh, a couple different things. Uh, one of the things is uh, that we strive together and we say that these ideas um, that came from Rudolf Steiner are our uh, primary things that inform us, but that we are also open uh, to other thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that we're, we're not dogmatic. If Waldorf education is anything, it's an education of time and place. And when Rudolf Steiner, he was talking about uh, school children in Stuttgart, Germany in 1919, which is the children here in Nevada County in 2021 need very different things. Mm -hmm. So we say we acknowledge this wisdom and Waldorf education is not an experiment. We've got 100 years um, of, um, of experience and teaching. Uh, but part of our schools as learning communities is that we're open to other ideas. So the teachers at our school can uh, discuss these philosophies of Rudolf Steiner, but we're also comfortable uh, talking about other educational theorists like Howard Gardner or Bogotsky and we're tying things in, and that we're free to have those discussions uh, that uh, there are many uh, different sources of wisdom. Another thing is uh, with our uh, principle number seven, schools as learning communities, would be uh, that we would always be learning together. So what that looks like at our school is we have uh, community events, uh, obviously hampered a little bit by our COVID restrictions. <laughs> Uh, but we have uh, parent education evenings where we have guest speakers and class teachers present information and we seek feedback from the parents. Uh, we have several different councils. We have a parent council that work and study together. Uh, the faculty has um, group study and things that we do together and discuss over the course of months and years. Uh, another aspect of that, we have a... Um, a social justice committee uh, right now, and uh, a group of the faculty meets weekly, and we are uh, reading um, 
books about social justice and uh, anti-racism, and then seeing how does that play out. And um, the idea is that we would really grow together and learn to uh, respect and understand different viewpoints. And it is all those different viewpoints that really lead to a real richness in the kind of education that we offer. Boy, that is a great process. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. We're just yeah. we're we're a team, and we're not isolated. And everyone in the community is on board. And we don't know everything, but we can strive and learn and grow together. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I, that's what we're doing with principle number seven. Nice, Michael. What are the other five uh, other five principles? We got two of them now. The two. You- yeah, we've got, uh, got child. De- you got the list. Yeah, oh, we've yeah, got yeah. child development, social change through education. Human relationships and Robert, I'll let you take the next couple. Oh, oh, here we go. Access and diversity. Uh, so uh, it is something uh, you know. Rudolf Steiner said that uh, Waldorf education should be uh, free and independent. Mm-hmm. But it's not free if you're at a independent school and you have to pay thirty thousand dollars in tuition. Mm-hmm. It's not independent if you're at the charter school and we have uh, requirements and obligations um, as a public school. Um, and uh, there, but there is a tendency, I think, in uh, in the independent schools who do great work. I love them, uh, but that just financially it can be exclusive. Uh, you're not. They have great uh, independent schools will have uh, great programs, so all different kinds of people can access it. But this principle, access and diversity, means that we really want to open up so uh, we can serve all members of society and serve uh, English learners, social socioeconomically disadvantaged students, uh, people with different faiths and backgrounds, that you don't have to have a specific worldview to have Waldorf education be right for your child. Uh, so we're yeah, working with that. And, uh, and a big part of that is also this um, group of teachers who are working with this uh, social justice uh, lessons mm-hmm. and uh, all the literature we're studying as well. Uh, Number six two. months, yeah. Collaborative leadership. That's why the teacher's doing all the talking while the principal here. (laughs) Good job, Michael. Well done. Well done. uh, Yes, we need Michael. Uh, Somebody's got to be in charge of the boat. Uh, Mm -hmm. But um, the idea is going back to this impulse that started the school, that we really all have a stake in the school. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not necessarily top down. I mean, you might think of it as that there are these different groups. You know, we have the school board and we have the parent council. We have the Ed Foundation. We have what we call the faculty uh, council. That's a group of teachers. And they're like little flowers in the meadow. And then Mr. Martin is the happy little bumblebee going around, uh, visiting all the flowers and pollinating everything. But that it takes all of those flowers to really lead the school Uh, like that. Sorry, I'm a Waldorf teacher. I can't not talk in metaphors and pictures. (laughs) I would expect nothing less, Robert. Okay, but but that's what that is, is that we strive as much as possible to do things uh, through um, consensus when possible, but certainly uh, what is best for the group and that it's not necessarily top down. All the voices are honored. That's and a big one, if I could just go back to something that makes us different than other schools, is this human relationships. And one way that that uh, plays out, I mean, you can think of when you were, and the listeners out there, when you were in elementary school, and you think of your first, second, third, fourth grade teachers, you don't really necessarily think they made long division so easy for me to understand, or I really learned my times tables, or I, I finally understood what osmosis was. The memories that children take as adults, they're going to remember that warmth and humor. Mm-hmm. You remember your first grade teacher and you're like, she was really nice. Yeah. 
And uh, with that, um, we stay, the, the class teachers stay with the children for a number of years. Our current model is one teacher, one through five, and another teacher, six through eight, uh, although there is uh, some flexibility within that model. But we see that this is really not just I am the teacher and you are the student, that these are our roles, but no, we are human beings working together on this work. And year after year, the teachers are able to develop a really deeper relationship with the families and the students uh, that just transcends this student-teacher power structure and really transforms into this genuine warmth human relationship. And then, uh, and then it covers all those bases with Maslow and the children feel right, safe. It gets, gets them all. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Well, well, Michael, it's good, hard to believe, but we've got less than a minute left. So what would you like to do to, to, to wrap this up? You guys have done an amazing job telling us about what's going on in this process, which I know is it can take up to uh, two years. So uh, what, what would you like to leave us with, Michael? Scott, I really, every chance I get with you in a public forum, I would like to thank you and the, the Nevada County School Superintendent's Office, yourself and your entire staff um, both Robert and I have been sponsored, and we're not going to badmouth anybody else, but we've been sponsored by other, you know, authorizers. And this relationship with you, Scott, I, I just commend you and your entire staff for being so supportive and putting kids first and politics off the table about control issues or those kind of issues, and just simply helping us to be the best school that we can be. And I thank you for that, Scott, and your entire office and staff from the bottom of my heart. Well, yes, I'll parrot that. Thank you, uh, Nevada County Office of Education and uh, Scott Lay. And uh, good things are happening because of the work you do there in that office. So uh, thank you well, on behalf thanks. of our whole community. I appreciate that. You know, you get the right people in the right places and get out of their way and you support them. So I agree. Well, guys, Robert, thank you. Michael, thank you. We are at the end of the show. Our listeners, thank you so much.